It's good to see everybody tonight. My name is Brian. I am the lead pastor here at the Summit Church. Really, really glad uh, that you're here, especially I know that the forecast is for snow. It was about two inches. Many of you are from regions of the country where two inches of snow lead to mass hysteria, and yet you brave the elements anyways to come out here and possibly drive home safely in those two inches of snow. So in light of that, and in light of the fact that probably many of you uh, are anxious to get home quickly to, to brave the elements, I will jump right into what we have to talk about. Is this still on, or are we? Yes, some of you are shaking your head yes, and some of you are shaking your head no. We good? Okay. We're going to jump right into our story. Our story is about a lady named Mary. Mary is a lady that probably many of you have heard of before. Even for me, I didn't grow up going to church very often, uh, but I was still familiar with Mary. You, know, you see her in the manger scene when Christmas time comes around. Even for me, unchurched little Brian growing up, I had some concept of who Mary was, just some sort of distant historical figure that I didn't really have much in common with and, and not somebody I could particularly relate to. And if I'm completely transparent, this week as I was preparing to teach and as I'm looking at Mary's story, I mean, the reality is, is I felt the exact same thing. This is sort of some distant historical figure, uh, some lady who lived 2,000 year, years ago that I have absolutely nothing in common with. And so you can imagine I started to get a little bit anxious as I'm getting ready to come and teach that here's a lady I have nothing I can relate to with. And in fact, look at the way that Luke actually introduces Mary to us in verses 26 and 27. He, he writes this, he says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so Luke jumps right into telling us who this lady is, and he tells us a few things. The first thing he tells us is that she is betrothed. That be, being betrothed was a lot like uh, being engaged in our culture, but it's even more serious. She was pledged and committed to be married to a guy named Joseph. And it was actually so serious that if they broke it off, it would lead to her being viewed as being divorced in that culture. And what it means then was that Mary was in the midst of wedding planning season, right? Any of you ever done that? She's in the midst of planning her wedding. The, the second thing we learn about Mary, since she was betrothed and because of the area of the world that she lived in, she was tremendously young. She was very, very young, probably somewhere between 12 to 16 years old. And so as we're reading this story, know that you're not looking at the story of somebody who's in their 30s or 40s. Uh, you're looking at a young girl, probably a girl who is in middle school. Uh, the third thing that we learn about Mary is that she is from Nazareth. And Nazareth was in the middle of nowhere. It, it was just this hole-in-the-wall type of town. It was the type of town that, I don't know if you've ever done this, but as you're driving somewhere, you, you come and you see a sign and it says, like, Welcome to Nazareth, and you look down for a second, and you click to the next song in your iPod, and you look up, and you see a sign that says, thanks for visiting Nazareth. That was the type of town that Nazareth was. It was small, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And so you can imagine my anxiety as I'm coming to teach you about Mary. And here's this lady, middle school girl, getting ready to plan her wedding from the middle of nowhere. Like, what in the world am I going to tell you about this girl? And then something clicked in that process. And as I looked at Mary's story deeper, see, see, last week what we looked at was a story about a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And an angel came to them and said that God was going to miraculously provide for you a son. And in response to that, that was the greatest gift that that couple could ever receive. And yet tonight, we're going to see a story that's almost exactly the same, where, where an angel in the same way comes to Mary and says, God is going to miraculously provide for you a son. But here's the catch. 
Here's where it changes. It's that for Mary, this was some of the worst news she could receive for where she was in her life. And in response to that, she is terrified. She is terrified. She is scared. She is afraid. And so as I was trying to apply this to my own life, I said, that's, a, that's an area where I can relate. Fear is an area where I can definitely connect. Because if I'm just completely transparent for me, that is one of my greatest weaknesses. That is one of my greatest struggles. I am afraid. I'm afraid of what will happen in my job. I'm afraid what will happen with our finances. I'm afraid what will happen in our future it is one of my biggest struggles. Even to the point, if you've struggled with this, you can probably resonate with this. Often I have time, uh, often I have trouble falling asleep at night. Often I wake up in the middle of the night because I've been dreaming about uh, some particular situation that I'm stressed out about, and I'm wondering if it really happened in real life or not. Uh, even to the point that I can find myself daydreaming for 15 minutes, sort of hypothesizing about the worst-case scenarios that can unfold about a particular scenario that I'm stressed out about. Anybody else do that? See, here's the thing is before you judge me and before you feel sorry for me, let me say this as well. You struggle with this as well, okay? This is your problem too. You all struggle with fear. And in fact, I was reading this week and a popular psychologist said this. He said that fear, fear is the one experience that we can all share as human beings. Fear is the one experience we know that we all share, and you know this, this is the way it's been your entire life. Many of you just wrapped up maybe uh, your education, whether it's high school, college, postgrad, whatever. And you know what happens as you're wrapping that up, you start getting that question as you're wrapping up school. Like, okay, well, what comes after graduation? What are you going to do for your career? And you're having trouble just finding a job, let alone a career. And you're, finding, you're having trouble making ends meet. And you're not only asking yourself, how am I going to make ends meet? But you're also asking yourself, how am I going to validate the years that I put into my education? as I struggle to be even employed. And others of you who are, who are single, as you get ready to graduate, you start having friends get married, you start having friends have kids, and you start asking yourself, is anybody going to want to marry me? Is that ever going to happen to me? You start wrestling with, with the possibility, even though it seems crazy now that I'm saying it, but I guarantee it's gone through many of your heads. Will I spend the rest of my life alone? And what's, ha what's interesting is, then you get married and fear doesn't cease, especially if you're a guy, and you start thinking about the financial implications of marriage. That was one of my biggest struggles, because all of a sudden you have these new budget line items like decorative towels, and decorative pillows, and vegetables, and you weren't used to buying things like that before, and you were used to sort of making ends meet financially by just living off the bare minimum. And, and even if you were, go with the flow. And even if it was just that, you know, you, you just didn't have a care in the world. What happens is what you have kids. You have kids. And all of a sudden, even though you were the most go with the flow type of person, you've been entrusted with a tiny human being whose entire existence is dependent on you taking care of it on a day in, day out basis. And you say to yourself, I better not screw this up. Every single one of us have shared in the common story and common experience of being afraid. And the reason that I share that, the reason I push you on that, the reason I say that you struggle with that and I struggle with that, so that when we look at this text, what you see is not some lady that was just some distant off historical figure that we have nothing in common with, but instead what you see is a young girl, a girl in her teens who was unbelievably afraid. And in her story, 
In her story, what you can see is that God is gracious and God gives hope to the fearful. In Mary's story, we see that God is gracious and gives hope to those of you who are afraid, just like me. So let's see what she had to be afraid of, okay? Let's look at verse 28. And he, he's the angel. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the... Uh, of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, last week, I know a lot of you weren't with us last week, last week uh, Andy taught, and he taught about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he talked about anticipating and waiting, and what he said was there was a remnant of people, the people of God, who for, for thousands of years, literally thousands of years, had been waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah, of this man that would come and bring redemption and restoration to a hurting and broken world. Now, If you are one of those people, one of those people waiting, hoping, anticipating the coming of this man who would bring healing to the world, if you read this, sirens would be going off for you in your head. You would say, this dude is coming. You would have have read your Old Testament. You would have known that prophecies are being fulfilled, that that he would be, that this Messiah would be from the line of David and be a great king like David. You you would know from the book of uh, Micah, Micah chapter 5, I believe, that, that that he would be born in this region of the world. You would know from Isaiah chapter 7 that he would be born of a virgin. You would be unbelievably psyched. But here's the thing. This is one of those situations where everybody is excited about the, the possibility of this happening, and nobody is excited about the, being the one who leads in making it happen. But it's kind of like when you're, when you're at work, and, and you have a meeting, and you have a bunch of people around, and like your, your business is killing it. And, and because you're killing it, you know, somebody comes up with a bright idea of like your business being more charitable to the community, right? And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We should be more charitable. And somebody's like, who has any ideas about the way we can be charitable? And somebody's like, well, what if we like take every other weekend, and some of us, you know, we go tutor at the middle school right around the corner. We're like, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. And it gets more and more and more excited in the room. And finally, somebody asks what the inevitable question of, so, like, who's going to take off the first Saturday and not go skiing to, like, go and make this happen? And all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, you know, I have plans. I already committed. I have this friend that I'm going to go with. See, everybody likes the idea of it happening. Nobody likes, you know, the responsibility that comes with taking the lead of making it happen. And that's exactly what's happening here. Everybody likes the idea of the Messiah coming through a virgin birth. Nobody likes the idea of being the virgin who has to give birth to the Messiah. In fact, look at Mary's response here. Look at what she says after this. She's not psyched. She's not fired up. Nothing. Here's what she says. Um, Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, you need to understand, this is more than a logistical question. Right? I mean, Mary knew how children are made, and she knew she hadn't participated in that. And so she's at, it's, it's more than like, how is this logistically going to transpire? It's more like, how could this happen to me? How, how could this happen to me? I, I was the good girl. I was the obedient girl. I was, I was the girl who had a simple faith and was from a small town, and now I'm the girl who's knocked up. How could this happen to me? 
See, here's the thing. Here, here, here's what I want to do. Did any of you grow up watching Saved by the Bell? Yeah. Any of you grow up? Yeah, that's the best reaction I've gotten all night. <laughs> yeah. You remember, you remember the Zach Morris moment where, like, things would get kind of dicey for him? What would he do? He'd go, time out, right? And, like, everything would stop, and he'd try to fix it. I, I want you to keep that in mind. Let's imagine that happens right here. And, and let me tell you what's going through Mary's mind when she asks that question. Because, because when she gets that news, that could be some of the worst possible news she could receive. Because you know what she would have known? She would have known getting pregnant outside of marriage, you know what it would mean? It would mean that Joseph would probably divorce her, and she would probably do the rest of life as a single mom. You know what it meant? It meant her reputation in that small town where everybody was supposed to be religious and obedient to God would be absolutely ruined because she was the girl who got knocked up before marriage. You know what it meant? It meant that her personal safety would have been at stake. And very possibly what would have happened is she would have been taken from her home into the center of that very small town, stripped of her clothes, had sackcloth put on her, and quite possibly stoned to be made an example of to the town that she lived in. And so I want you to have that in mind. And I want you to imagine Zach Morris just came in and said, time out. And I want you to imagine you jump in into that scenario and you have a, a word of encouragement to Mary. What do you say to her in the midst of her fear? Like, what do you have to say? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing as I was studying this week. As, as I said, a lot of the way uh, other religions uh, offer an explanation for the things that we fear, I, I spent a lot of time studying the way other uh, worldviews and philosophical systems explain the, way, the reasons that we shouldn't fear. And here's what I read. I, I read a very popular psychologist giving endless statistics about how the things that we tend to be afraid of don't actually happen to us. So we really shouldn't worry because chances are it won't happen. And I read a blog post by a guy named Deepak Chopra. Many of you have probably heard of him. He's one of the leading voices in the New Age movement. And he said, really, the things that we fear are all a matter of our wrong perception of life. And if we could just have a new outlook, we wouldn't fear anything. And even from your own common experience, you've probably experienced things where you've been tremendously, tremendously afraid. And you've had somebody come up to you and give you the very vague explanation of, like, don't worry, it'll be okay. Why? Like, why will it be okay? And so as you think of a timeout movement, you think of the scene freezes, and you think you have the opportunity to go to Mary and offer her comfort, what are you going to say? Are you going to tell her, Mary, you know, the, the fact that you're afraid of being stoned to death with a baby in your womb is just a matter of your wrong perception of what reality actually is? If you would just think more positively, then you wouldn't have this problem. If I said that to Mary, she would give me a holy smackdown, and it would be totally okay. See, here's the thing is when I think about the struggles that you and I face, when I think about the friends that I've had who have lost jobs, and they ask themselves, am I going to be able to make ends meet not only for myself, but for my family? And when I think about, when I think about the marriages of friends that I've seen fall apart, and people who committed to love one another till death do us part. And then one of the people, when it gets hard, they just bail, and you're left asking yourself, am I going to be alone for the rest of my life? When I think about that, when I think about the friends who have been diagnosed with illnesses and they start asking themselves, am I going to have my entire way of life altered by, by this diagnosis? When I think about that, some sort of cheap greeting card saying, like, don't worry, be happy, isn't going to fly. And here's the thing that makes Christianity so unique. 
It is what it says is it doesn't offer simple explanations. And what it does is it doesn't come and say, just suck it up and think more positively and stop thinking like that. And why do you worry? Don't you, don't you trust God? Stop thinking like that. And instead what it says is you have perfectly legitimate reasons to worry. You have perfectly legitimate reasons to worry and to be anxious and to be fearful. You and I live, according to the scriptures, in a broken fallen world. And we live in the tension of when God created things as good as when God will return to make all things good again. And in the midst of that brokenness, life throws serious crap at us. Throws serious crap at us. And what the Christian faith says is it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be fearful. There's perfectly legitimate things for you to be scared of. And by that, what I'm not going to say is there's no hope that God isn't bigger than those things. We're going to get there. But one of my observations is that churches do a really good job of telling you how to fix what you're scared of and not walking alongside you in the midst of the brokenness and fears that you carry with you on a day-in, day-out basis. I just want you to know before we go any further, before we even provide a solution, it's not a quick fix, and it's okay to be afraid. Okay? The story doesn't end there, so that's good. Mary's just asked, how can this be? How can this happen to me? I did everything right. I was a virgin. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, if that's me and I get that answer, that doesn't exactly answer my question, right? That's more like the answer to the question that gives rise to about 15 more questions. But the angel doesn't give her a chance to even respond. He just blows through it and keeps going. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Elizabeth and Mary were related. They're actually cousins. And this is the first time Mary heard, like, Elizabeth is pregnant. She's old. She was barren. Like, God's done something tremendously great in her life. And then the angel comes to a central point in verse 37. He says this, For nothing... For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know what's bizarre to me about that response? Here's here's how I would have responded to Mary. I would have said, Mary, don't worry about it. We got the details covered. Joseph isn't going to divorce you. We're going to let him know exactly what happened. It's the Holy Spirit's baby and not yours. It's totally all right. We're going to to let... uh, we're going to let your friends know that you're not some sort of hussy who is like, you know, making out with people you shouldn't be making out with. Like, we've got every single possible scenario covered. It's going to be okay. Here are the details. Here's exactly how it's going to happen. And what does the angel do? He gives almost no details. But what does he bring? A declaration. Not details, but a declaration about the character and nature of who God is. And that he is sovereign, that he is supreme, and that nothing is impossible with him, that nothing is impossible with him. He brought not details, but a declaration of who God is. And I think one of the reasons, that at least for me, I don't know if you're like that, I don't know if that's what you want from God often, but, but if you're like me and you want details from God, if you want a flow chart of exactly how this difficult scenario is going to be worked out, if you want, okay, God, like, I'm not making enough money to pay the bill, so you're going to need to answer me specifically of what bill I should not pay at the end of the month and, like, which one won't hurt my credit score more. Can you speak, for goodness sake? And when you think about the, the fact, 
like what happened in our life. Okay, God, I know that she's been diagnosed with an illness that's not only life-threatening, but also tremendously expensive. How are we going to make this happen? I need you to give me the details. And in the midst of that, in the, in the midst of yearning for the details, in the midst of yearning for God to provide a flow chart of exactly the way things are going to unfold and how he'll provide and take care of us and why we shouldn't fear. Instead, what the text says is what we most desperately need is a declaration of the character and nature of God and to rest in the fact that nothing is impossible with him. That's what we need. That's what we so desperately, desperately need need from him. See, this was enough for Mary. I want you to see, I want you to see her response. Look at what Mary says in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. No bargaining with God. No, you know, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Just simple faith from a simple woman that said, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just believe and I'll be obedient. I'll just believe and I'll be obedient. You mean, Mary, like you're okay with the possibility of, of maybe not marrying this guy that you've been preparing to marry? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. You mean, Mary, you're okay with the possibility of, of your children being mocked as the, being the adulterer's kids for the rest of their lives? Yeah, I mean, I don't like it, but I'm okay with that. You mean that you're, you're okay with the possibility of being a single mom for the rest of your life and the difficulties and challenges that are going to go with that? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Simple faith. She took God at his word. She believed by faith. She believed and she was obedient. She believed and she was obedient. That's the Christian life. That's what I want for you, is, is to believe God at his word and to be obedient. And my challenge to you would, would be not to look at Mary as, as somebody you should admire, but somebody you should imitate. See, see the same God who is unbelievably gracious to Elizabeth, the, the, the same God who is unbelievably gracious to Mary and who is not only able to do anything beyond the impossible, but it was for her good. That same God, that they didn't have access to a God that's different than the God who, who desires to be known and sought and loved by you. And he has sought and known and loved you. And what I challenge you is that, that you would believe the same promises that Mary would believe in the midst of your fear about the character and nature of who God is, and that you would believe a beautiful truth that emerges that we see in the life of Mary. And it's that while we have perfectly legitimate reasons to fear, we have even a greater reason not to fear because of who God is. And the challenge is to rest in that, to rest in that and to believe that and to cling to that and to trust that and to actually apply that to our lives in the midst of the crap that life throws at us. My challenge to you is to believe two specific promises that we saw Mary believe in this text. The first is this. It's exactly what, it's exactly what she says in verse 37. For nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. You, you mean like my marriage where we are slugging it out and, 
and, and her and I, I mean, this is a lot more like hell than it is like heaven. And I'm wondering to myself, is this the way it's always going to have to be? Always the conflict? I mean, this is not what I dreamed of spending the rest of my life doing. You mean that God can redeem that? You mean he can bring peace in our relationship? Nothing is impossible with God. When you wrestle with just that feeling of meaninglessness that comes with unemployment and comes with working a dead-end job and you could disappear and nobody would notice for weeks. And you ask yourself, does this mean that I'm condemned to a life of mediocrity and meaningless, meaninglessness? Nothing is impossible with God. When you think of the relationships that are around you and how there's constant friction again and again and again, and when you think of people that if by God's grace you would hope that they would just be removed or their job would be transferred, or you wouldn't have to interact with them ever again, you mean that you, you guys can actually be friends, like actually like each other, for nothing is impossible with God. The second promise is this. We see it in verse 30. The angel says to Mary, he says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary had found favor with God. Why? Did she deserve it? No, because out of God's good pleasure, out of his pleasure, he he delighted in extending her grace and extending her his favor. It was totally because God is good and not because she had earned it, but because of God's unmerited grace that he extended this favor to her. And while many of you, I'll say all of you, won't give birth to the Son of God, while you won't give birth to the Son of God, the reality is if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been extended favor as well. Because you earned it? No. Because you deserved it? No. Because you're such a good person? No. But because of God's good pleasure, he delighted to extend to you grace, even though you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. God has shown you favor. And the minute you begin to doubt that, all you have to look to is the life of Christ, that he lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died on the cross. He bore our sin, and through him taking on our sin, we received his forgiveness and his righteousness so that we could be friends of God and have access to the God who's chosen to to extend to us his favor and chosen to extend to us his power and supremacy. And the moment that you doubt that, all you have to do is look back to the cross and the favor that has been extended to you. For nothing is impossible with God. For God has shown you his favor. And don't you see that it's not until the weight of that, it's not until the magnitude of the supremacy of who God is actually begins to reign true in your life that your problems don't just go away or disappear, but but they pale in comparison to the character and nature of who God is. And don't you see that it's not until the magnitude of what God has done for you through through Christ's work on the cross that, that as life throws crap at you, as life seems unbelievably difficult, and you ask yourself, why does it have to be this hard? That you can say, it's not that those things are inconsequential, but instead you've received a greater favor that could ever be extended to you in this world. That's it. You don't, you don't have, you, you shouldn't just stop fearing. You shouldn't just stop being afraid. You shouldn't just stop being anxious. You shouldn't just stop it. 
You have perfectly legitimate reasons to fear. You have perfectly legitimate reasons to fear the future and what's going to happen to you, what sort of job you'll have, and will you get married, will you not get married, and will you stay together, will you not stay together. You have perfectly legitimate reasons to fear. But what God provides for you is not details of how those things will work out, but a declaration of his character and nature, that he is supreme, that he is sovereign, that he is good, and that he is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he is after your good and is eager to extend to you his grace. And because of that, you have an even better reason not to be fearful. God provides for us hope for the fearful. And my prayer for you, my prayer for you is that you would actually believe that, that you would actually grab hold of that, And that would not be something that you can just speak, but it would be something that you believe with all your heart. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you so much for your favor. We thank you so much for your grace in Christ. Uh, We thank you so much for for what you've done for us through Christ. Uh, We thank you so much that you speak to the very practical areas of our life, like being afraid. And as we wrestle with that, I pray that we wouldn't uh, trust in our own willpower just to, to stop Uh, feeling afraid, but instead that we would rest in the supremacy and magnitude of who you are. And not just your abilities, but your eagerness to show us grace. God, let that transform our lives. Let us live with tangible hope that those around us can see. And God, we thank you for your love and mercy towards us. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.